Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this time that you have given us to come together as your family. Father, we come. We come, Lord, for you to minister your grace, that divine influence on our hearts that we so desperately need. And I pray you would do it by your spirit, through your word, to my heart today, to each of our hearts today, for your glory, for your honor, so we can worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to First Timothy. Actually, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. There are two things in this chapter that the Lord spoke to me strongly this weekend, beginning in verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. There is that which we commit to God, and He guards it. He keeps it. And then there's that which He commits to us, and He calls on you and on I to guard it. And this really spoke to me as I was pondering through the word that the Lord had laid on my heart. In chapter 2, verse 20, this is the word the Lord laid on my heart today to share with you. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Not a few, not two or three, every good work. So I brought an illustration for you today. I have a vessel of bread, and I have a vessel made out of china, or originally glass, a form of glass. Now, I want you to think about these two vessels and the difference between them. Both come from the earth. Both are made out of substances that come from the earth. The bread is made out of, someone tell me, flour, which comes from wheat. wheat, 
or a green. The glass is made out of sand, which comes from the earth. It's made out of sand. It's how they make glass. Years ago, I uh, used to be a, a, a part of uh, a partner in the, in the pallet shop where we made skids and pallets for a company called Owens Corning Glass. It's a, it's a big national or perhaps even worldwide company now. And they make glass. And I remember um, some years ago going on a tour of the glass factory. And how they made glass is very interesting. The, the ingredients they pour into it. The other two similarities that these two have is to make this loaf of bread. Taking it from flour and making it into something that it'll hold. Something hot. I just, there goes my coffee. We'll have coffee soup. If you've never had it, you should try it. My dad used to love it. Let's see if it's going to leak. Nope, not leaking. You've seen me pour the coffee in there. It actually holds it. Have you ever had bread soup or soup in a bread bowl? It's quite delicious. But there's a distinctive difference between this and this bowl. And you pour something hot into this bowl. What are some of the differences? What is the most distinctive difference you can think of? Yeah, Tiffy. You know? You were going to say. But you wouldn't out of the bread bowl. Interesting. One dissolves. Exactly. One is temporary. The other is not so temporary. Right. This one, actually we've had for over 20 years. We got it on our wedding day. This little bowl right here. We did, right? We're shortly after. This one here, I just picked up fresh this morning. I guess it was probably baked fresh this morning. But... After one day old, I doubt anybody would want to eat soup out of this one. Particularly not after 20 years old. It would look quite different, right? But this pretty much has retained its look. Maybe it's a little bit faded, but the structure is just as strong as what it was 20-some years ago. Now, interestingly enough, the way they have been formed is similar. The grain is ground up, it's mixed into a liquid form, and it's put into the oven, right? It's a porous kind of form, and and it rises in ingredients, and then it's put into the oven, into some heat. And that's also how they make glass. They take it, melt it into a liquid form, they put it into the oven. And I remember particularly in this glass company we had toured They were also making a lot of fancy dishes and they would take tools and they would stick this glass in there and they would take tools and twist it and form it and make all kinds of uh, fancy things out out of the glass, not only just useful bowls. So there is, any large house, there are vessels, temporary vessels that are useful for maybe once or twice. And then there are vessels 
at Art of Honor. In fact, we rarely use these. You know where my wife keeps them? In a cupboard or up in, we call it the, the China dish place where we sit, she puts them up on a nice display and has a little glass. You can look at them and look at the beauty of it, even when you're not using it. It'll bring back memories. So I like to, I point these two things out because I see that my life is like this in God's hands. Your life can be a vessel, temporary, used once or twice, but if it's only made out of earth, it becomes very short-lived and temporary. What the Lord wants to do is take many of the same ingredients, perhaps, but change it into something that is permanent, eternal. Before I go there, I want to share this word with you in First Second uh, Timothy chapter one, verse nine. And this, to me, is a truth that's so important as I speak this word, because as I pondered it and asked the Lord to do this work in my heart, if it is not sandwiched or encased in this truth, it will become a dead work to all of us. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Who has saved us, Jesus, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Or as the New King James says, before there was time, God in His heart had purpose to take you and me and make us a useful vessel of honor for His glory. A vessel that He Himself can use to serve his Holy Spirit, His truth to His people. And your life will either be a bread bowl or a china bowl, a vessel of dishonor. And the way that this is a vessel of dishonor is that it's so temporal, it'll feed you for one meal and then be gone into dishonor down into the city sewer. This vessel can be showcased and used every day and cleansed and washed and used again for as long as time stands. If this vessel isn't broken, it could remain until Jesus comes back. It wouldn't deteriorate. It could be used hundreds of thousands of times. So it's still not eternal in the sense of, but you get the picture. The longevity of the comparison is what I wanted. In Romans chapter 12, we're thinking, I'm thinking, of the word that I spoke last 
of being in the potter's hands and my life is a vessel made by the potter. And that's why that word in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 was so real to me is that it is not by something that I have done for myself or these, this vessel of honor is not something I can make of my own life through my own will or through my own desire or my own strength. I can't make that happen. It has been purposed by God before time began that you and I are vessels of honor. And he can take, do a miracle, take a bread bowl. God can take a bread bowl and change it into a china dish. Do you have faith to believe that? That God can take your life that begins as a bread bowl and turn it into a china dish. Romans chapter 12 I'd like to look at this process with you. I urge you, verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, which is going to pass away. It's going to deteriorate. It's, go, it's temporal. Do not be change your life into things that are temporal. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And this proving what the will of God is for my life, for your life, dear brothers and sisters, it's contained in this chapter in a, as a life of service to others. God has redeemed you and I. He has created, even before He redeemed us, He created you and I for a life of spiritual service that worships Jesus. A life of spiritual service that worships Jesus while you serve others. In serving you, I worship Him. And for many years in my life, I didn't connect the two. I've seen them as two separate experiences. Worship was that which came from my inner man in my closet. Service was that which I did outwardly to other people. But that's not how God has designed it to be or what he has created you and I to do. Because if you allow anything to divide this in your life, you will struggle in these two ways. One is, your quiet inner life will be a closet life where you'll have peace, joy, revelation. And you'll walk out of that closet and come out into the busy, bustling, stressful world 
and you have a hard time relating to it. The inner peace will evaporate like dew when the sun hits it on a bright morning. And that was exactly my experience. I had a divided life, an inner life with Jesus, an outer life that was full of stress and care and anxiety and worry and bothered by so many things. And when the Lord began to put these together in my life, and He's still working on me, I haven't attained yet to that complete perfection. There'll be a day when that perfection will be completed. But until then, the Lord continues to change me from the bread bowl to the chinaware. Little by little, He takes those thoughts, begins there, renews them, changes them, makes them a new way of thinking. And I really began to see in my life, I need to rethink worship. What is worship? Worship is a life of serving Jesus combined with hearing His Word. You hear and you do. And you see this in the life of Jesus as He spoke so clearly about it in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, 6, and 7 throughout 8, all the way up into 12. He spoke about what his inner life was and how he served. I only do what I see and I hear. His inner life came out in a life of service to others. If you don't do it this way and you try to do that which is acceptable and you try to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, without it being a life of worship, they'll all be dead inside. And this is exactly the state that the church was in when Jesus showed up. The church, Zion, Jerusalem, and the people of the Jews, Jesus called them inside. They were full of dead men's bones. Outwardly, their worship was exacting. Every jot, every tittle, it was all done perfectly. They had it perfected. Inwardly, there was nothing. There was nothing towards God. And so Jesus said, here was the result. You did it to please men. You did it to impress men. And it was empty on the inside. It is by grace, God's divine favor, And I love these words in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The works that I get to do are a gift from God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every good work is not your idea. It has not originated with you and me. It has been prepared in previous eternity in God's mind. He came up with it. And He has, in His purpose, created you to fulfill His ideas, His work. Do you see that? So how in the world Can you ever accomplish it unless you first 
It comes from him to you. And you, through his power, through his divine influence and grace and inner strength, give it back to him. That is service of worship. And it's reflected in Romans chapter 11, right here, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And that is why we read throughout church history since the Holy Spirit has come and has invested, been poured into human bodies on that day of Pentecost that Peter stood up and preached a sermon, the truth spoke what he had seen and heard. He later told the Jews, we can't help but do that. He was able to stand up boldly and 3,000 people were transformed that day. Born again. How was that possible? The same Peter who just a Some weeks earlier, maybe a month or two earlier, because Jesus was there for about 40 days after his resurrection, appearing to many. Completely denied that he even knew Jesus. Said, I don't even know this guy. When asked, are you not one of his disciples? He did so by cursing and swearing, saying, I never knew him. And then being so discouraged after seeing him die Repenting, but watching him die and going into the grave. He just says, you know who I am? I'm a fisherman. And in John chapter 20, chapter 21, you read how he said to the rest of the disciples, hey, all this Jesus stuff, I messed it up so bad. He's gone. He's not permanently here anymore. I'm going fishing. But Jesus redeems him. That was temporal, earthenware, bread bowl stuff for Peter, fishing. And Jesus comes back in John 21 and finds him fishing. And he redeems him from that attitude, from that way of thinking. And he transforms his life into the Peter we now know, our brother in Christ who inspires us so through his words and life of love, of worship to Jesus. You see, worship in my life and in your life is an attitude. It's an attitude. And so the way that I serve you, if I serve you, as he tells us to in Ephesians chapter 6, servants ought to obey their masters in everything. How? By doing it. As unto the Lord. And Jesus said, If you do it even unto these little ones, you do it as unto me. Dear brothers and sisters, parents, how do you serve your children? I don't know about you, but it is easy to do it in an earthy kind of way, being a bread bowl. I'll serve them breakfast. And I don't think about it as anything of worship at all towards Jesus. It's just something that needs to be done. It's morning time. That's what we do. We eat breakfast. Let's get the breakfast over, right? 
Let's just get it over, eat it, and get on moving to our day. Come on, we overslept. It's a little late. Let's get it done. And then we get to lunch. Oh, we got to have lunch. It's lunchtime, but our day is busy. Let's get another bread bowl. Serve them the bread. And it's dinner time. We're tired. We're exhausted from the day. Let's eat dinner. We're hungry. It's a moment by moment act of service that doesn't even look into the future. That doesn't even see Jesus in it. That's earthy in me. And Jesus wants to change that daily routine experience into an act of service, of worship. And that changes everything, just like it did for Peter, fishing for fish. And it changed him into fishing for men, making disciples. And it'll change you and me, brother and sister, from just feeding our children to making disciples of them. Disciples who see Jesus in me serving breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Walking through the routine of every day is an act of worship. A holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. Rethinking worship transforms your life. Be not conformed to this world. And that that word speaks the most strongly to me. Not only in how I think and my attitude, but on how I allow the pressures of life to affect me. The demands of life to control my time. The demands and the pressures that the world puts upon us to control me. Or are you and I controlling it? There's a big difference. It's transforming. This word transform, by the way, is the same word that is used to us in Matthew 17. It's the word transfigured. And in Matthew 17, it gives us this word of Jesus when he went up into the mount. In verse 2. And he took verse, uh, we'll begin in verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And look how he was transfigured. His face, his complexion changed. I don't know about you, but my face, the complexion on my face needs to change daily. Be transfigured. That's what God called on Cain to do, you know. When Cain got angry, because of Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. God took note of one thing. 
And he said to Cain, Cain, how has your countenance fallen? What's going on, Cain? I see it on your face. Our children, our God, looks at our face as we walk through the day. Has your countenance fallen? And God gives him a choice. And he says, don't, don't let it control you. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants to get you. Don't give in to that sin. Don't let it control you, Cain. And Cain wouldn't hear. And he did control him. And it marked him for the rest of his life. A bread bowl. A bread bowl. Abel, to this day, is still speaking. His faith in Hebrews 11 says, though he is dead, still he is speaking. Cain is no more. His bread bowl is a monument for you and I. In duty tells us, beware of the spirit of Cain. Let's see what he says. I want to quote that correctly. In Jude, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Speaking of these men who, these are ways that we can live and react to situations. And he's saying, watch out for that way of Cain, dear brother, sister. When your countenance falls, you need a transfiguration. Right then, right there, a moment of worship. Right then, right there, a moment of worship. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And Peter says this. It's good for me to be here, Lord. And I've seen in my life, when I allow the Holy Spirit to transfigure me in front of my boys, all of a sudden, it's good. To be there for them. Fellowship with that changes. Instead of fear. Because your countenance has fallen. And anger and jealousy have creeped up into your heart. And they're crouching to get you. And to control this situation. And your attitude and your tongue. Right here, right now. Transfiguration would change the atmosphere. It'll be good. For them to be there. And then God speaks. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And God will speak that to every soul. When he transfigures his son and his daughter. In those moments. By the grace, his divine influence, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, 
He transfigures you. Your face, your complexion changes. Your children and your the fellowship changes. The atmosphere changes. And God bears witness. Obey your dad. Obey your mom. God speaks it into their hearts. That's my son. Hear him. That's my daughter. Hear him. And now all of a sudden, you're not controlling the situation through fear, through the loudness of your voice, or through the sternness of your complexion of your face. You're controlling it by the spirit of the living God bearing witness in their hearts. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus, Jesus speaks these words, Arise, don't be afraid. And that's what you you and I can speak. Arise, don't be afraid. When God bears witness. Peter speaks to this. Oh, I love how Peter describes it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. And so... We have the prophetic word made sure to which you do well to pay attention. And look how he describes it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Dear brothers and sisters, when your countenance darkens, God's ready to light the lamp in the hearts, your heart. The hearts of your family, the hearts of your co-workers, the hearts of your world. But unless you allow the Holy Spirit to transfigure yourself, your inner man at that moment transformed, they'll never see the lamp. The lamp won't be lit. It won't be a light in that moment of darkness. It'll just be more darkness. Inside and outside. Darkness. And it will be an experience of darkness for everybody in the room. The lights in their eyes will go out. Quenched by your spirit, my spirit. Instead of lit by the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians encourages me greatly with this word. Second Corinthians 
chapter 3. Verse 16. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. Hearts and minds are renewed and set free. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Are we all, when that happens, your children will look into your face and the behold, as in a mirror, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. He's been glorified right in front of them that moment. Are being transformed. Same word. Transfigured. Are being transfigured. And that word really encourages me. This is not a momentary, once in a life, time experience that I somehow experience somewhere in my closet all alone. This is a daily routine. I am being transfigured. By the Spirit of God every day. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he speaks of this transfiguration. And it has really encouraged me again. I share it with you. To do the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Eternal body. If there is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. So also. Verse 45. So also, it is written, the first man became a living soul. The last Adam became a what? A life-giving. Not life-receiving. Life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first. We all know that, right? But the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second is from heaven. And Jesse and Laura have just gotten an earthy one not long ago. A natural little baby, Lucas. I think I read a blog or a post that Laura put on Facebook. It seems her life revolves about feeding Lucas, changing his diaper, letting him sleep. Basically, eating, sleeping, pooping. That's the baby's life. Earthy. Well, guess what, Jesse and Laura? And I know you know this, but just to encourage you, that's not why Lucas came to earth. It might seem like that right now, but there is a spiritual coming. There is. 
All of us came that way, earthy at first. But there is the Lord, and there is the Holy Spirit, and the purpose that He, Jesus, long before Lucas was ever conceived, has purposed in His heart, in His daddy heart, His God has purposed for little Lucas to be transfigured. To be transfigured from eating, sleeping, and pooping into a life-giving spirit. That is the purpose for his birth. He doesn't even know it yet. But his daddy mama know it. Don't you, Jesse? They know it. Even though that's the, the temporary experience is the bread bowl. It's just, you keep filling it and keep filling it and it just, just evaporates. But it's being changed. And there'll, there'll be a day, there'll be a day when it'll change from an earthy to eternal, life-giving spirit. And that'll continue to change little Lucas every day of his life on earth, every day of his earthy life into this life-giving spirit. Until, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We will not all die. But we shall be changed in a moment. Was that a moment? In a split second. Blink! You're changed. You blinked, Lucas. Just that quick. We'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. And what will they be raised to? Look at the word. What does it say? Imperishable. Incorruption. Not a bread bowl any longer. I am now real China. Forever. I will never perish again. Nothing in me perishable, nothing, not even a thought, not an attitude, not a word, not an action, nothing perishable about me anymore. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then, then will come about the saying that it's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The first man, verse 47 is from the earth earthy. The second man is from heaven. And as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. 
As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall, dear brothers and sisters, get this, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Is your faith there? Abraham's faith was there. And in Romans chapter 4, he tells us that those of us who have that faith, who look for a city not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, who look for a body, a life of service, of worship that is unearthly. It's all completely heavenly. There won't be one dead act of service in heaven, not one. Today, I'm still earthy. And I still need to be changed, transfigured in those moments of earthiness. When I do something out of a selfish ambition, or out of pride, or out of self-seeking, or out of anger, or frustration, or anxiety, all those earthy things that this body comes to give this living sacrifice if I come with a heart to be transfigured I will be moment by moment will be transfigured and those experiences will be transfiguring me and you not only in my inner experience my relationship with Jesus but in our fellowship together It will be transfiguring instead of earthy, natural. Thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of all this, what are we to do? Go climb a silo and sit there and wait for Jesus to come. I remember one of my uncles said that once after he had a real spiritual experience that transformed him. He said, I just want to go. He was a dairy farmer. I just want to go climb a silo and sit there on top of the silo and wait for Jesus. Is that what he says? Therefore, go do that. Therefore, go live your isolated little life and just wait for Jesus to come. And as long as you stay in that isolated little cubicle with Jesus... You won't have to worry about sin anymore. But guess what? You won't have to worry about being transfigured either anymore. Because you can be there all by yourself. And rot. Come out moldy. If you stay there too long. The transfiguration comes to you and I. Through the Holy Spirit, giving us life to give life. A life-giving Spirit transfigures me and you. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Don't quit. Don't be quitters. Be steadfast. I like how Gene Schroeder used to say, I'm white-knuckling it. You know, when you're hanging on and you're just hanging on by your fingertips and your knuckles turn white, I'm white-knuckling it. 
Be steadfast. Immovable. I'm not going to be moved away from this experience in my life. I will not turn away from it and be discouraged and shut down like Cain. Cain shut down on God. And sin did grab him and controlled the rest of his life. Steadfast, immovable, and look what next comes. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always struggling in the work of the Lord? No. Always abounding in God's work to my children, to my wife, to my co-workers, to my fellow believers in the world, to the church. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord because it is called worship. It's called worship. There's nothing vain or empty about it.